This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. On Friday, I got a phone call. Um, do, you know the, the, do you know the numbers that you don't recognize? But every once in a while, you just muster up the, I wonder what this one's about, and I'll just answer it. And uh, it, on the other line was a voice asking me for a, uh, $143. Uh, this was f- Friday afternoon. Now, this wasn't a voice from Mumbai or Calcutta. It was a voice that sounded like it was from, like, uh, you know, Shelbyville. Um, like, and then I realized, this is Asher Irwin. This is my, my son's 16-year-old buddy. Like, He's got like, there's like the three amigos is Asher and Ryan and Ethan. And this is Asher Irwin has called me. He is standing at Walmart mid-afternoon, I kid you not, and asks me for $143 so that he could purchase paintball equipment that was on sale at Walmart. (laughs) Now check out the logic in his mind was airtight, okay? He said, he'd already called to ask to borrow the money from Ethan, but Ethan is previously committed to pay for a, a, a speeding ticket that you know about, that paying for his crimes against humanity. So he, uh, he, he's in the hole a little bit on money, and so here's what Asher's idea was. Hey, you uh, give me the $143 that you would have spent for Ethan on Christmas, and then Ethan will owe me the money no, I will owe Ethan the money back. So all the, it, was, it was like the weirdest like, check-kiting scheme that I had ever heard. And, and in his mind, this logic was airtight. And I'm like, well, buddy, uh, there's a couple of problems with your presentation. One, it's Friday afternoon, Black Friday. We done spent Ethan's $143 for Christmas. It's over. If you'd have called yesterday morning, it's an, actually still wouldn't have happened, but it would have been a better time to call. And, and the problem for a young Asher is then, you know, even if we're trying to dip into Ethan's inheritance, <laughs> I've done the math. If I were to pass away this afternoon, as best I can tell, Ethan is going to owe money to the estate uh, because <laughs> the amount of, if you guys, so I've had three daughters. The son thing is a whole different deal. When you get a son hitting the gym trying to get their gains, do you know how much chicken they can put away? Like, what, what was the last time, like, last night, what was the, we fried up the grill again at what point? Like 11 o'clock? Yeah. How many chicken strips did you eat? Seven. That was at 11 o'clock at night, okay? That was like the eighth meal of the day. And he is getting his gains on. So I'm like, all right, dude. Asher, while I appreciate your enthusiasm, the answer is a enthusiastic no. Uh, Ethan uh, already owes us, you know, pretty much for a lifetime of uh, for the estate. So you, you're gonna you're on your own. But as I was listening to him and hanging up later in the day, while I appreciated his courage and thinking honestly, either a he's gonna end up uh, being a sales guy. Uh, I mean, Katie, I don't know if you guys anybody at Groove right now to be working the phones. Uh, Asher could do that. So he's either going to be a very successful salesperson or he's going to end up in jail. Um, 
I don't feel like there's going to be any middle ground on this one, but either way, he's going to make a lot of money before either of those things happen. So, uh, but what I learned as I was listening to him talk was like, oh, he actually just taught me something about prayer that Paul was teaching us in Romans 8, which is, here's the thing, he called Ethan's father, not his father. And in Romans 8, we're like, and by the way, can you imagine, I mean, honest to God, 16 years old, could he, would you have called your best buddy's dad and asked him with a straight face for a $143 loan against your son's Christmas buddy? The courage is, <laughs> I, I celebrate the courage. Um, but, but he's asking the wrong father. I'm the f- father of Ethan. And when we read through these next few verses, what I want you to see is this theme is of in between all the groaning and all the praying, all, there's this theme of, of a child, of a son praying to his father, of a relationship with a father, of an inheritance from his father, not the neighbor's father. So with that in mind, I want to read to you verses 14 through 28. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. 
Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your word to be the light, to be the lamp that you promised it would be. Lord, I pray that your spirit is in here and speaking to us individually, that, Lord, you might even be speaking to someone right now instead of me and encourage you just to listen to that, to your spirit would just speak so loudly and strongly that they would listen to your voice this morning. And Father, we are in a city right now that is full of churches that are lifting up the name of Jesus. And we bless them and we ask for your spirit to fall on them today. Lord, for World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, with Pastor Allen, Lord, would you just bless those guys and the courage that they have displayed. For Pastor Tom at Thompson Station Church, Lord, your name is being declared there and pray that your spirit is falling all over them as well. And Nathan across the street at Graceland Assembly of God, Lord, your spirit is falling there already. It's so amazing to see life in that building and on that property again. We bless them. We pray that you, Lord, will pour out your spirit there and as we in this city and in this nation lift your name up as churches around the world are lifting your name up Lord that you would be drawing people unto you and it is in your name Jesus that we pray amen Asher picked up the phone and called the wrong father now I'm not saying his dad would have answered any differently than I did. In fact, I know Joe and Melissa Irwin quite well, and I'm assuming a request for $143 for paintball uh, on Black Friday before Christmas was going to be a no. But he, he called the father that was not the father of, of his. It was just his buddy's father. This lays out in the way that if I'm going to pray to God in the way that Jesus has made the way for us to be, which is not just slaves, not just friends, but children of God, his sons, that we pray differently. And there's three sections here that I want to show you that sort of lay it out pretty perfectly, that when I'm praying like a child, I'm going to pray expectantly, I'm going to pray patiently, that could also be persistently, I might add, and praying purposefully. Now, I would like to apologize for my voice. I've still got dust in it. I think Darren from Montana, maybe from Wyoming. If if, if at some point I I break into a Joe Cocker song, just know that this is is my only chance, right? So this will be gone by tomorrow, hopefully. But uh, it it just is what it is. So if it's, you know, if my voice is a little more sexy this morning than normal, then, you know, you, you all just have to deal with that. So praying expectantly. What I mean by that is really this. When... My kid comes into my house and prays, asks for, he's expecting access to me and he's expecting to be heard by me. Access and being heard. And being heard means, it says right here, the Abba, Father, by the Spirit of God, we are the children of God. And as the children of God, we have access to say, Abba, Father. Now, I want to point something out to you that is pretty important. I've been using the NIV version for for a long time. Um, It's the nearly inspired version. 
And, and, and what I want to point out to you is, is sometimes when the publisher gets involved, they want to sell more Bibles, they want to whatever, whatever the reason, I don't want to judge their, their idea. But what they did here, one of the changes they made just a few years ago was they actually took a lot of gender out of the translation in an attempt to be more palatable to the people. So if you've got a King James, if you've got an ESV, if you've got most any other translation, it doesn't say children, it says sons of God. It's neutered. But in the Greek, it is not children, it's sons. Now here's why that matters. They wanted it to be more palatable so that, so that a female, so that Tasha would not feel overlooked in this, that we're sons and daughters, that we're children. But look, Paul didn't write this in the United States in 2021. He wrote it in Rome in the year 56, give or take. And in that day and age, sons, men and women were not equal, okay? So men, that meant that if you were a son in the will, in the inheritance, you actually were treated better in the inheritance than the daughter was. Now Galatians, Paul says, there in Christ there is no man and there is no woman. So in the kingdom of God, there is no male, no female. But listen, if you don't catch how controversial this would have been in Rome, you're missing it. Because what he was saying is that a female, Sammy, in Rome got the same inheritance as Eric because in Christ there was no male or no female. So when he says sons of God, we should leave it sons of God because it means that there, it is not making women less, it's actually elevating them to equal with male. There is no male and no female. So by neutering it, they didn't make it more palatable, they made it less powerful. And the power is this, you calling out to Abba, Father are a son of God, meaning that you're going to get the exact same inheritance as Jesus got, right? A co-heir as a brother, and even there they put brothers and sisters. That's not what it said, as brothers, because as brothers, they get the same inheritance as the other males in Christ. No male, no female. You as a female, you are elevated. You are not decreased. Christ long before Jane Fonda. Sorry, anybody that knows exactly what I'm talking about, you just told me how old you are. How about that? <laughs> I got you, Johnny. We are equal. We are, there's no male, there's no female. And because of that, we can expect to be heard. In fact, the word Abba itself, this is not an idea that's, that's universally accepted. There's actually debate in this as to what Abba actually means. There are those theologians, those Bible scholars. In fact, we had one here a few weeks ago named Elisa Childers. If you were here for Elisa, she's amazing. And she would say that this does not mean like a diminutive of daddy God. There are theologians that believe that. On the other hand, there are theologians like Tim Keller, right, that believe that that's not only what it means, it doesn't just mean daddy, it actually is like da-da, like a, it's a word in Aramaic that has no etymology at all, and that's why there's some debate as to exactly what it means. But here's what we know for sure it means, you're not a slave, you're a son, for sure. Now, follow me that if, if it does mean dada, like the youngest of all, then what it means is more profound than even, it's not just a teenager working over his dad to try to get something. This is a 
infant who is crying out by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father, an infant crying out. This is the language of need. It's the language of connection. It's the language of expecting to be heard when you cry out to him. And I think that if you don't understand that, you don't understand how controversial this would have been in Paul's time. You miss just how powerful this is for us. No other religion on the planet makes this claim that you become a co-heir with Christ. And when you pray, you can expect to be heard. And you can expect, secondly, access. That I get access to the Father. When Jesus left, he told his disciples, it's better that I go. And if you're the disciples, you're like, that's actually not better at all. Because you were here. Better that I go. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. When Jesus was on the earth, we had to get in line. It was worse than trying to get BTS tickets for the SoFi concert in LA next week. 70,000 tickets. People waiting in line around the block, okay? Jesus, people had to cut holes in roofs, right? People had to bust down doors and squeeze through crowds. But when Jesus says, it's better that I go away, it's because now everybody gets a front seat to the Father. There's no more take a number and step aside. There's no more get in line and wait your turn. It's your turn right now because you are a son of God. You have access to him. And when we pray, we are not praying as slaves trying to negotiate for comfort. We are not the neighbor's kid trying to work over someone else's dad for paintball. No, we are sons of the king with access who can walk right into the throne room of grace. Hebrews tells us, enter boldly. You know who could enter the throne room of a king boldly? His little boy. The king, in this day and age, if you were a Caesar, if you were an emperor, and someone just came marching in without any notice, off with your head. But if his little 18-month-old son came crawling in, it's get on my lap because you're my child, you have access. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, know that you, in Christ, the Spirit of God, gives us access and it allows us to be heard. And that said, some of you are thinking, great, Darren, I've been heard, but why is it that I haven't gotten what I've asked for? He goes on to explain that for us here. When we talk about Waiting patiently, waiting persistently would be another word for it, but patiently because of verse 25, we have what we hope for, we don't have it yet, so we wait for it patiently. But he uses words here about what it means like as far as when we're asking for something. Because there's many things that we're asking for that what I'm asking for isn't something that is about my relationship with God, it's more about trying to fill this need inside of me. 
He says in verse 20 that the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought to freedom and the glory and the children of God. And I think I speak for most of us in this room when I say, what? What does that even mean? What? The word frustration, translations, ESV, King James, again, uses the word vanity. Subjected to Vanity. Vanity means an emptiness in your hearts. Subjected to vanity, meaning that when you were born, Pasqual was right, that there is a God-shaped vacuum hole in your life that cannot be filled by anything but God. And many, if not most of us, will spend our entire lives trying to fill that hole, that vacuum with anything and everything except God, and when it doesn't pay off, it's why the NIV writers aren't wrong here, it's frustrating. It's just maddening. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon uses the word vanity. Keeping in mind, Solomon wrote Proverbs, this book of wisdom for us, the, the smartest man ever to live in that age, right? And by the time at the end of his life, he writes a book called Ecclesiastes and he just uses the word vanity over and over and over again. Emptiness, it's emptiness. Solomon had a thousand wives, okay? A thousand wives. And it left him with vanity, with a hole in his heart, even a thousand of them. He had so much money, so much gold that they stopped even counting the silver because they were too busy counting the gold. And it was vanity. And then he adds on to education, philosophy, biology, botany, science, and it was vanity and did we learn something the last 20 months about how far science can take us? That there may be a little bit of vanity in that, a little bit of emptiness, and I could go on and on. Influence, power, and all of it left him with vanity, and at the end of his life, he said, I only know this, it's, it all comes down to love God and obey his commands. That's the hole that was in Solomon's heart. And in our hearts, it's still here. And he says, I've let the world, I have, it's, it's like a, it's an act of love from God to say, I'm going to live this hole in you so that every time you try to fill it, you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be left with nothing but groaning about it, just sighing and groaning. Instagram influencers, TikTok, what do they call the TikTokers? TikTokers? Whatever they are. Rock stars, famous. I've, in my previous life, I got the privilege to know some people who, when I first met them, were waiting tables. And then over the span of years, they were selling millions and millions of records and making more money than they'd ever imagined. And, and every single one that I had the privilege of working with and every one of the behind the music uh, VH1 things from back in the day, tell the same story, that they were miserable and they were sad, and it was because I had one guy, he told me this, I won't say his name because I didn't ask his permission, but he said this, the problem is that I literally got everything I always, I, anything I ever wanted, I got it, and I was still me. 
the hole was still there. He happened to be one of the lucky ones to get everything he wanted and to realize it wasn't going to work. You and I, in this room, maybe you don't have that, and maybe we could learn ahead of time so we don't have to waste all that energy and come back and say that that vanity that creation is subjected to was something that God put in you to lead you back to God, not away from God. And the groaning that it causes is that when you live in a world where we're trying to make our identities with sexual identities, when we're trying to fill our purposes with our, our uh, online identities, when it becomes about identities in general, this group versus that group, that never ends well. And when that happens, when creation is groaning like that, using identities to divide and to conquer and that the whole is still there, it says, it talks about the groaning there that never ends well because that creates problems in societies. It creates problems in countries. It creates problems in churches. But when we live in a world that is trying to be filling those needs and subjected to that vanity and refusing to come to Christ, that's why he says in the second thing that we as Christians are also groaning because we're living in a world that is falling apart because they're pursuing their identities, their purpose through things that are not gonna fill their hole. And when they do that, they create great distress, great trauma, and great destruction. And so for even us as Jesus people, we ourselves inside are groaning. And when I think of the word groaning, it, it's almost, like when I think, when you think of groaning, what do you think? Groaning, Ugh. You think, here's what I think of. I think of when I get up in the morning and I put my feet on the ground and I step out of bed. There's just that noise. And by the way, there's not, that's not far because it actually says your bodies are decaying. There's a groaning that happens just because your bodies don't work as much. Thoreau said that a human being, uh, we ripen until we're 21 years old and then after that it's all souring. And you young people laugh and laugh all you want to. But one day you're gonna go fishing in Orange Beach, Alabama and you're gonna catch a whole bunch of fish. And then for the next three months, your arm is gonna hurt because <laughs> you injured your arm while you were fishing. Or you're gonna wake up in the morning. Your neck's gonna hurt like crazy because you were sleeping. You injured yourself, you know what I'm saying? Sleeping. I've somehow sprained my neck just laying here. Your body is groaning from that, and th there is a truth to that of the groaning, but the groaning is within because much more than my right tendon, which I have 50-year-old tendons, I got 30-year-old ambitions, much more than that, I'm looking around this world and I'm like, I don't know what to say about this. I'm watching friends of mine who are losing their jobs because they have not agreed to receive an experimental vaccine. And I don't know what to say about that. I have a lot of things I wanna say about that, but I don't know what to say about that. I'm watching friends who are suffering in sickness that I just, God, I know you could heal them right now, why wouldn't you? I see what's happening in governments being, society is literally being divided in half through churches and through politics. And, and, I, and here's the thing, what, what this really says, the groaning, it just simply means that sometimes there are no words. There just aren't. 
The English language, the human language fails us. There are no words. And when I get in trouble is when I start griping instead of groaning. I'm actually inserting my griping where I should just be groaning. And when I start griping, that's not helpful. Sometimes we just need to shut up and go to the Father and just say, Lord, I don't know. I just know I trust you. I just, there's a, there's a sigh. Jesus, when he talked about healing one of the, it says he groaned, he sighed. It was like, but looked up to the sky and spoke to the Father. There was a time even in the garden where Jesus was, was on his knees in the garden of Gethsemane. Some of us were there two years ago where Jesus said to the Father, it looked up and he said, Abba, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's the prayer of a little child that just trusts that dad knows what's best and that dad has got his best interests in mind. And sometimes groaning is the only way to make it happen. And I love this last part because if you've been groaning recently, if you've looked around and thought, I don't know how this, I don't know, I don't know how this figures us out. I don't know how we went from 400 years ago where we were able to have Christians coming here to celebrate and be thankful and giving thanks. I don't know how we went from there to our country being torn apart at the seams. And and if you've studied at all what's happening in our world, it actually feels quite hopeless between our, our, our corporate media, between social media, between just us in general, happening, like, I don't know. But it says here that the Spirit, praying purposefully, the Spirit is actually in our weakness. Verse 26, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. Think about the profoundness of that statement that the Spirit groans on our behalf. A few years ago, three and a half years ago, we sent our daughter off to boot camp for the United States Navy. She was 18, she was a child. And we're watching her leave that night, and I know that the world that she's in right now is about to, hell is coming for her. The, 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 the suffering that she's about to endure. And in that moment, there was nothing that we could do. There were no words to say, but it's, even here it actually it talks about the, the inward groaning of, of Christians. It's just an inside angst of feeling. But as a father, I felt that for my daughter, and I believe that's what this is saying, that our Father, that our, the Holy Spirit, looks at what's happening in our lives. He knows it's going to make us stronger. He knows it's shaping us. He knows that there is a purpose for it, but it doesn't mean he likes it. And so he groans for us. And that when I don't know how to pray, that he is praying for me. Which I love because I've prayed some stupid prayers over the years. 
And I love this idea that a prayer prayed purely, even if it's incorrect, that I've got the Holy Spirit saying, hey, God, I know that's what Darren says he wants, but that's completely stupid. Here's what he really wants. Here's what he would ask for. We have to be careful in prayer. The prayer is not me directing God and telling God what to do. Isaiah 40, verse 13, uh, he says, who has known the mind of the Lord, right? Who has instructed him? Who has been his counselor? Who has told God what to do? You know, and I know that's a rhetorical question, but the answer is me. I've told God what to do. Who has been the Lord's counselor? Me. God, let me tell you what's happening here. Let me explain this to you. I'm gonna do some explaining. Here's what we need to do. Here's how we're gonna do it. Why not? Let's go, God. I'm the Lord's counselor. And the idea being that I got just as much business being the Lord's counselor as an 18-month-old has being the counselor of his father. Because there, is it possible just floating it out there, that if he is the God of the universe, right, he can sneeze stars, he can make it rain turtles, whatever he wants. If he's out there, is it possible that he might know something you don't know? Is it possible that he might have some plans that you don't know about? Now that said, the Bible speaks, and it's a very interesting theological dilemma here because the Bible tells us if you, you have not because you ask not, book of James, by the way, it doesn't say you have because you ask, it just says you have not because you ask not, which means that there are some things that we don't have because we haven't asked. There's something where we open the door in prayer that allows God to move in a way that he wouldn't, not that he couldn't, but wouldn't without our prayers. So on that note, it is important for us to make our requests known to God. Simultaneously knowing that no is just as much of an answer is yes is. When you pray, it's, it's pretty much three answers. Yes, no, later. Those are pretty much the three. If you remember in the book of John, I believe, it might be Luke, where uh, Zacharias is told that well, you know, your, your prayer has been answered, that your, your wife has a baby. The prayer, he's like 75, 80 years old. He hadn't prayed that prayer in 40 years. What was the prayer that, that they would have a son and, and John the Baptist was born later? The point being that that was a prayer that was prayed. God heard it. They probably even forgot about it, but they asked for it and God did hear their prayers, waiting patiently for it. Last thing I want to say before I send you out of here is that this Romans 8 passage, I don't know about you, but this resonates with how my life plays out. There are things I've gotten that I asked for from God. There are things I haven't. There are things I just want to stop and they don't. There are times when I just don't have words. And look, I'm 50 years old. 
Uh, the older you get, the more things you see that they're just things, I wish I could stop, but I can't, and I'm in the middle of this, and I don't know what to do, but to just groan and trust that the Spirit is groaning and that I'm crying out to my Abba Father. But he says here in verse 28, this passage that says that we all know it, many of us have it in three by five cards on our bathroom mirrors, that all things, in all things, God is working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul was writing this to a group in Rome who had been exiled, and by exiled, I mean physically forced from their homes to another city. And a few years later are back. They've lost everything. He's saying in all things, in that thing, all things, God is working together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. I used to think I used to teach that that meant when you got a bad thing happen, you got a better thing in return. You wrecked this car, oh look, you got a better car. You lost this job, now you got a better job. Except we all know somebody, we all might be somebody when that didn't happen. I lost the job and I didn't get a better one. I lost this and I didn't get a better one because that's not the promise and some of our greatest faith crises come when I'm asking God to keep a promise that he didn't make. Here's the promise. Those he predestined, right, he foreknew to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good thing that comes from the bad you being conformed into the image of Christ. You being conformed into the perfect, into the wholeness, the holiness of Christ. And so those moments when you didn't, when it didn't come through and you didn't get healed immediately, in those moments when you're still walking with a limp like Jacob walked, God uses that to mold you and look, I don't know how this plays out other than at some point on the other side in eternity that every tragedy that we have suffered, the Holy Spirit was groaning with us. And that every crisis that we have experienced, every pain that we have felt, that God is not wasting it and on the other side of eternity, you're going to look like an image of Christ that wouldn't have happened any other way except that. We share in his sufferings and because of that, we now look more like him. A few years ago, I was with my friend Greg Murtha. Some of y'all know Greg. His, Greg was... 50 years old. Greg spent his entire life, adult life, working for Bob Buford at Halftime. Halftime Institute was this idea that those who had made a lot of wealth and had a lot of success, that in the second half of their life, that they could use it to make an impact in the kingdom of God. Greg was, created the Halftime Institute, trained men, women, to do that, go from success to significance. At the age of 49 years old, Greg, the most in shape friend I have. And I don't know, Tracy, are you here? Okay. In shape, pr probably the best looking guy friend I've ever had. Like so good looking that it almost made me mad. You know what I mean? Like just impossibly good looking. 
talented, spent his life, and at 49 years old was diagnosed with colon cancer. Three years later, he stepped into eternity. And I was in the, we were in the room that, that night as he was breathing his last breaths and he was passing into eternity and we were worshiping and I'm thinking, before that, God, why not, why take him now? Why not? And I just felt a peace that night that God was using those moments to make Greg into the image of Christ in a way that would, no other way would have happened for Greg. And as devastating as it was for us on this side of heaven, Greg closed his eyes here and he opened them there in the image of Christ. You see, the first few chapters of Romans tell us that he's justified us. We are justified, you are a son, you are completely accepted and loved, but that is not where he's done. He didn't just justify you, now he is conforming you to be in the image of Christ. Stand to your feet, I wanna pray for you. That's the hope, that's the promise that all things are gonna work together, that you as you pray, pray with the expectation that he is, he's hearing you, the expectation you've got access to him. Pray and wait patiently, knowing that he's moving on your behalf. And pray with purpose, knowing that the purpose called according to his purpose is he is making you into the image of Christ. Walk out of here with that truth in your hearts. Father, would you speak to us personally today? Father, would you move on us supernaturally today? Would you remind us, would you teach us, Holy Spirit, all those promises that we are your children? It's by your spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. And it's because of your name, Jesus. It's only because of you, Jesus. Only because of that, you, your sacrifice, your name, Jesus. Because of Jesus' name, we pray, amen.